Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, as always, Keith Revere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. I can see from social media that the, the podcast is growing as my followers are growing, so I appreciate that. A little bit about me. Uh, I spent most of my adult life in prison rehabilitation. Uh, no, not prison, although some of you might think of should belong there in a mental institution <laughs> or something. Um, but no, uh, outreach, uh, rehabilitation, uh, aftercare. Um, I, for some reason, decided to – I mean, after a lot of the local jails and local facilities, when men and women get out, specifically men, they help them get back on their feet. And I've noticed uh, over the years that all this punishment-minded uh, prison facilities here in America, uh, they don't work. What I did notice is the, the facilities that have programs and then aftercare programs really made a difference in people's lives. Um, and so I started focusing more on uh, violent offenders where e- even uh, psychopaths, those with psychopathy who, don't, who are not deterred by fear. Uh, if you're not deterred by fear, how is a punishment-style prison going to help you? Um, and what I've noticed, and I've written about this, um, and talked about this on numerous times, positive reinforcement does work, especially in somebody or somebody who has psychopathy. Uh, reward, positive reinforcement, that's a deterrent. Um, when you uh, put a reward in front of somebody and encourage them, show kindness, love, and compassion, because some of these men and women have never, never really felt that, especially once the word is out of what they are uh, and what they have done. Uh, and I've noticed that by showing love and kindness, you're not supporting what they've done in any way. In fact, you know, I get it criticized all the time online for what I do. They don't realize what I do is for victims and future victims because uh, some of these men and women are going to get out. So by showing kindness and love and compassion and, and helping them out, uh, trying to put some money in their pocket in prison so they can e- at least eat something uh, or buy some books to educate themselves on something – um, just something to keep their minds working so they're not just rotting away. Um, some of you might say, well, they deserve to rot away. Fair point. Um, but some people are called or felt led or have a passion to just reach out to the victims and the victims' families. I reach out to the offenders uh, to hopefully prevent future offending if some of these men and women get out. Um, some aren't getting out. A lot of people I talk to are on death row. Um, some will never see the light of day, but they do have a voice. Uh, and through their voice, men like David Berkowitz, who I've done uh, multiple projects with, the Son of Sam, now I'm calling himself the Son of Hope, he has reached hundreds of thousands of people with a positive message of change uh, that happened in his life. Uh, Charles Tex Watson, the Manson family, who I'm friends with, I have I have stuff on his website of my own. Um, he has reached thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, has written books uh, about life uh, after. Um, being committed of a, a convicted of a violent offense, uh, and especially someone in the Manson family. Uh, so that's kind of why I do what I do. I'm not just promoting um, serial killers and promoting violent offenders. Uh, that's not what I'm doing. There's a, there's a method behind my madness, so to speak. Uh, so today, uh, first, thanks for joining. Whether you're a long-time listener uh, or a first-timer, we appreciate that. Today we're going to be talking to Martin Kipp, a.k.a. Dr. Crazy. Um, full-blown American Indian, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, some of his story was just mind-blowing. 
Uh, some of his artwork is just, it's amazing. Some of these men and women, if you follow me, you see I post a lot of artwork that these men and women send me from, from some of the worst facilities you can imagine with the most limited supplies. Yeah, he was telling me, yeah, I just started doing some artwork and I think I'm getting the hang of it. He sent me like four pieces. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> it came out amazing. You know, go search my social media page uh, and check some of that out from Martin. I was also a cellmate for a while of the Night Stalker himself, Richard Ramirez, now, which I know a lot of you are fascinated by because when I started mentioning I'm talking to Martin, uh, a lot of people commented, ask him about Richard, ask him, ask him about Richard. Uh, and I did. And we're going to hear him talk a lot about Richard, uh, what it was like to, to be housed with him and have personal conversations you know, privately with him. And when the voices in his head really started, he believed he was poisoned uh, from, from drinking liquids in the military. Uh, so here we go. Martin Kip. I had mentioned a couple stories that you had told me. And uh, especially, yeah. I think you're really connected to a lot of people. When I had mentioned, you know, how you know you were abandoned as a child, little baby, and in the you know, below freezing at the cabin, yeah. you had dogs bringing you, you know, eating the food the dogs were bringing to the cabin, and yeah. everybody's like, it was like this guy has some stories. <laughs> this is a story we need to hear. Yeah. You know, if nothing else. I mean, well, it's like I told you. Here's the thing I tell people: they're like, how can you remember that? And I. Always tell people, look, whether you're 65 or, you know, uh, 18 months old, you know, which I was, when you go through a traumatic, very traumatic, life-threatening situation, you might not remember then as you grow up, but when you get older, those flashes start coming back. Yeah. And when people start telling you, bam, bam, you go, whoa. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I woke out of a dead sleep going, my gosh, that happened. Yeah. Well, it's like the Tampa June chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. I, I see it on TV and I go, what the heck? And then I think back 44 years later, oh, man, that's why that was happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Because I find out that these chemicals, it's what they do, you know? Mm-hmm. It's what they do, you know? Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, but you you find out four four years later it's kind of a trip, you know. And you, sure. You know, better to know than not. But yeah, you know, at the time you're like, God, what's my person's headache? What's his voice? What the hell is society? You know, mm-hmm. and you've got to perform as a marine, you know, and daily, and you know you're wondering, well, how can I make this stuff stop, right? And so you go to like alcohol, and you know that. But the problem with that is it drowns it out. But when the alcohol was up, you're right back to square one. And it's really bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you're, you're taking a deep breath trying to go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but here's the thing, Keith. Um, yeah, it's like, that's the thing is, you know, face another day, you know, and I'm like worried sick because, you know, I'm thinking about my family. I don't want to let him down, you know, get mm-hmm. an honorable discharge, you know, mm-hmm. you know, stay out of trouble, you know. Exactly. And, you know, it's just a lot of stress every day, right? There's times I couldn't, I didn't, I was so hungry, even in the Marine Corps, but, you know, I was using my money to drown this stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, I mean, uh, yes, I get it. I'm not innocent. I get your mm-hmm. things. I'm not trying to justify it, but mm-hmm. the stress 
you know, and they're trying to, you know, you get, you have to be a, a, you know, a Marine in there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But it's like I told you, how can I be held culpable and accountable for a military error that, number one, is out of my control? You know, I don't mm-hmm. even know what's happening. Yeah. They're not protecting me, and then they're covering it up for 34 years. Right? Mm. I mean, how can how can you say, okay, well, we want you to live up to our standards? Well, for 34 years, you had persistent willful misconduct, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't hold up to the Marine Corps' value uh, or motto, always faithful, semper fi, right? Mm-hmm. It's Latin, you know, for that. I'm just saying, you know, so, you know, I mean, I understand I did wrong, but, you know, you can't start, you know, or leave that, um, the, the chemical thing out of the equation. You sure. Know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, mm-hmm. there, there's things that affected me, you know, and here's the, here's the thing. When you don't know, right, it'd been one thing if I'd known, you know, that this was the key. I, I, you know, I, you know how many times I wanted to go get help, but I thought, you know what? Man, you know, you're young and you're like, dude, don't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing, you know. Now I'm older, I can I can deal with it, and I am in mental health, you know, and getting uh, the treatment I need, you know. Yeah, good. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, working on it, you know, and it's... Sure. Artwork just calm, calms me down. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I can do better and That's good. manage, and, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm just saying... Uh, I'm not trying to really, you know, justify. Of course. Why I ended up here. Of course. But at the same time, you can't throw that thing out the window and go, oh, well, that don't count, you know. That mm-hmm. hadn't, that didn't bother him. It, it wasn't a heavy contributing factor. Yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, how I old, mean, how old do you uh, think, then it kind of, Jose, yeah. how old do you think you yeah. were when you started realizing that, um, you know, your brain wasn't exactly like everybody else's brain, like something was wrong that maybe you were thinking or hearing things that maybe other people weren't. How old were you start realizing like, well, something's, something's different here. You know, I don't, I don't know if this is right or, you know, when did you start realizing that? Well, 19, I would say when I was in supply school, right. I was uh, getting okay. ready to graduate, uh-huh. you know, three, three weeks, two, three weeks to graduation. My, Instructor came over. He was, you know, good time in uh, Vietnam, you know, great instructor. And I was doing really good. I was one of these top three kids, you know, or students. He said, Tim, what are you doing? I, I was by the barrack, by my, where I lived, you know, the barrack. And, and I said, uh, yeah, my head's killing me, you know. And, I got anxiety issues and I'm kind of hearing some things, you know. He said, uh, well, listen, you better suck it up and get it together. Otherwise, you're going to wash out, you know, and you don't want that. So I cleaned up. I quit drinking, you know. I worked out harder. I, you know, I showered, mm-hmm. which is an ironic thing because that's where this stuff was. <laughs> and um, I finished top three in the class and I got to choose. Uh, if you finish top three, you get to choose where you want to go. And I could have went to Quantico, oh. Houston, or Okinawa. Mm-hmm. I should have went to Quantico. Right? Mm-hmm. I should have went there because I got, a, got my uh, Camaro and just drove on base. And, you know, and 
I didn't do that. I went to Okinawa for three and a half years. I got over there and all this rage and all this, you know, waking up in different barracks is, uh, didn't know how I got there. That's kind mm-hmm. of when I was about, I guess I was 20, 21. Yeah, then, okay. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, then when, um, I did my three and a half years in Okinawa and, uh, I stopped wanting to do crazy things. I got, I came back to El Toro, uh, Marine, Air Wing Base in uh, Santa Ana, California. It's shut down now, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not there no more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, after 20, okay, 78, 19, 19, 20. I guess I was 22 then when I came back to uh, um, uh, El Toro, mm-hmm. Santa Ana. I was 22. But, that's when it got really bad, you know, and um, I actually was hearing voices, you know, really. Ah, uh, okay. Was really hearing. It was it like is like kind of like the sound of uh, like like the sound of your own voice in your head, and what were they? What were you kind of hearing? Was it more oh, like? I was here. I pulled. I was with my girlfriend. I pulled over. I hadn't, and I was just a month away to get discharged, and nothing had happened. I had done nothing bad, you know. You know, and I'm sitting there, and you know I got a ounce of coke and ounce of crystal meth, and um, you know, a couple of cases of beer in the back. You know, and I'm she's not doing nothing. I'm not doing. We're just sitting there, kind of listening uh, to a low uh, music on this radio. You know, my customized van, Toyota van. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, in the back, this voice says, look, I don't know what you're doing, you know, but go ahead. You know, you're just wasting your time. Go do what you got to do, you know, and uh, what are you waiting for? And I told her, mm-hmm. did you hear that? And she freaks out and goes, you know what? This is weird. I'm getting out. I'm walking. You want to pick me up, fine. You know, I didn't go pick her up because when she got out, I looked back there and then I looked up in my mirror and I saw a dark figure and it was telling me, hey, what are you waiting for, dude? You know, you know what you want to do? Mm-hmm. Go do it. You know? And, wow. You know, I mean, that was the most, like, now a lot of people say, well, that could have been, you know, the drugs or whatever. But that's when I believe these chemicals, um, you know, were maybe at their peak and mm-hmm. trying to get out. No, oh, wow. Um, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Sure. But, you know, I wasn't on nothing at the time when this happened. Ah, okay. It, it just, it just freaked me out. And then mm-hmm. right after that, I just, you know, um, I just said, you know what? Okay, you know, what am I, mm-hmm. you know, went out into Long Beach and went to this one place and bar, you know, and that's when things start happening, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Was that the first time the, um, 
that the first time you really started hearing, you know, like the voice or that, that urge or the no, lead? Or no, yeah? um, no, but I, I, I would, um, have these tremors when I was in the high school. Oh, wow. 19, and it was like, gotcha, gotcha, you know, and I, I was thinking, and I would ask other friends, you hear that? And I'd say, what are you talking about, dude? You need to get better, you know? And, um, when I got to Okinawa, uh, yeah, I would just like end up in a Navy barracks or Air Force barracks, uh, you know, uh, a Marine barracks, different ones. I didn't know how I got there. I'd wake up, you know, I didn't know how I got there. Wow. And that's when, um, I was hearing that, like, it would go, ah, you know, and it was just, you know, Sure, it was scary. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, sure, it was scary. Can't imagine. I didn't. I didn't know. I'm young. I don't know what to do. I don't want to say nothing because I don't want to get kicked out. <laughs> you know, and um, you know, uh, I needed help, and I just, you know, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I done it now, but mm-hmm. you know, better late than never. I mean, yeah, that's. I'm telling you, this is the honest assessment. And I told the same stuff to uh, the mental health doctors here, right? And, um, you know, they diagnosed me with stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's, that's what I'm saying. I think that there's probably more incidents that I forgot. Yeah, uh, maybe. You know, uh, sometimes I was maybe too drunk or, you know, too much on substance or whatever, you know. Sure. But they were there. Things were happening. And, uh, yeah. Well, I think uh, the, the, positive yeah, in all, the positive in all that is when you did eventually get help, it helped. You know, so people who, you know, hear yeah. your story, you know, here on the podcast or, you know, and even outside in other places, that's the encouraging part where if that's you – you know, if, if you're hearing those things or feeling urges, this and that, and, and but you do talk to somebody and you do reach out, there is help. You know, it can get better, you know, through your artwork or meditation, whatever it may be. Yeah. It might be a different path for different people, but there is help out there. Even here, I've had residual effects of everything I'm telling you. Residual, you know. Like mm-hmm. A half hour, 45 minutes, I'm shaking when I, before I go to sleep. Lungs, blood vessels, and a 
degenerative changes in your spine. Uh. And that's that's where these chemical hit the brain and the nervous system. Logical mm-hmm. nerve behaving the works. Mm. Right? And um I almost died. I wow. so much blood. Oh. You know? But they finally put me on like seven different IVs and I finally after about seven, eight days I finally was able to come back and you know, but uh yeah, from what I understand it was uh the chemicals trying to work their way out or do their they were had a an effect or a digital effect. You know? Wow. And um It's amazing. Listen, you uh. just don't you just don't freaking bleed out like that. Yeah. You just don't get sick like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And gosh, this I was spinning, it was like seasickness a thousand times. You know? uh. And yeah. It's just amazing that, you know, we've known each other for a few months now. And, you know, if like your sense of humor is great. I mean, you're you're always, you know, cheerful. You're funny. You have a great sense of humor. We always have a good time on conversations. And you would never know, you know, the, the struggles you have, too. You know, so you're, how do you keep such a positive mind and, and have a good sense of humor knowing, you know, you've been through a lot, you know, and, and you're still going through some things. But I, I pray. Mm-hmm. I have to pray every day. I pray a lot. I meditate. You know, uh, uh, I take medication and supplements. I work out. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> even with all that, it's like I tell people, I sound like I'm okay and I look like I'm okay, but inside, I'm just a wreck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, all scarred up. That's the thing. So people look at me old, you know, Oh, he looks fine. You look great, you know, and for 65. But inside, you know, n- neurologically, uh, neural behavior, uh, the neurosis, they don't know about that, right? And, uh, it's just, it's just kind of a rough thing. Yeah, like, like I'm saying, mm-hmm. like, just what you said, you know, yeah, you sound great, you're a good human, but say, a lot of stuff I, I'm just been programmed, you know, to mask. Yeah. And uh, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good thing because it helps me cope. It's a bad thing because all these years I'm just now getting the help I need. So, yeah. Um, and it's what I tell people is, yeah. People, yeah, you look great. Gosh, you know. Got a six pack. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you can do full split. You know? Um, you know, you can do this, that, you know, but really, um, they don't know the story, you know, or, you know, I mean, I'm not like, you know, losing it or nothing, but, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's just things that help me get through it, you know? And, um, yeah. I got lidocaine packs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got uh, this type of arthritis cream that, you know, I got joint complex pills. I got turmeric. I got red ginseng and uh, star annies, you know, like I take each day that. Because when I wake up, my back's killing me. It's sore. It hurts, right? Because I have what's called diffused degenerative disc disease, right? This is the chemicals I have. Several bony hypertrophy at my knee, mm. right? And my elbows. And, and that's the chemicals. 
you know. Yeah. They do, you know. They zip you up. And here's the thing. So I didn't get a bad conduct discharge. I didn't get a dishonorable. But they're saying, well, it's other other than honorable that we feel because, you know, this is what they because of where you're at, you know, and what happened. Well, you know, did you ever stop to think that these chemicals were a heavy contributing factor to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, so that's part of my claim, you know. And, uh, you know, these people hit by these chemicals, you know, they were like three and 4,000 uh, degrees or percent above normal drinking levels. So, you know, you just got to trace of that stuff, you know. I'm down there for months, dude. <laughs> I'm down there for months. I'm going uh, from Camp Dagger to Camp Lejeune all the time during assignments. So, you know, going into the USO place where they mix the water with everything, you know. So, yeah, I got a hell of a dose of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, and, it sounds uh, like it. I mean, so even... I got, uh, uh. yeah, my, uh, my skin, my body, I got all these little tiny red dots, right, all over my stuff. And that's, a clear sign is called uh, had a tickle or something. It's a clear sign that you were exposed to them chemicals, that type of radiation. Oh, wow. You know, and whatever's in it. But I'm just saying that, um, uh, uh, yeah, they're, they, they like, don't want to own up to it. it seems like. Sure, of course. They don't want to mm-hmm. it. And so they're trying to say I was at Pam Dagger, right? Which is a part of the New River uh, Marine uh, Air Wing, right? It's just up in the corner, right? And, excuse me, um, the Tarawa water plant is closer to it than Camp Virginia, right? And this a direct line to it, you know? And so, uh, yeah, it's because they're trying to say, oh, well, it wasn't bad over there, you know? And, they had to shut down 10 water wells, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a trip, man. Oh, sure. And not to mention the jet fuel and the mustard gas gums they, they buried that leaked and got into the water. So, yeah, there's a host of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. that, uh, you I'm know. sure. But I'm just saying, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm dealing with it and I'm trying to work it out, you know. And, um, uh, yeah. Just keep working with yeah, it. heading in the right direction. Uh, and- and you, yeah, to, you yeah. told me, um, but, uh, you told me part of the story. You didn't hear. All, I'd love to hear the whole story on, uh, like I said, when you were a child, when you had abandoned, and the dogs were bringing you food in the cabin. Um, oh, yeah, so, what do you remember about that? So, like from like beginning to end about it. How much do you actually remember? I'd love to hear the whole thing. Well, so, um, yeah, I was there, and I was with my family, and then that, they were gone, and I'm in this cabin, no heat. Uh, no electricity, no running water. I'm eating snow. I'm looking out. Uh, I sleep under a mattress with the dogs, and they bring meat in and different things, and I just nibble. I don't know. If I, I don't even know at that point uh, if I knew I would make it or not, you know? Wow. And, um, now, where was this at? What? what, uh, what? Uh, yeah, Black, in Browning, Montana, Black Street Reservation. You know? Okay. And uh, at that time, I'm with, I'm with my still smoking biological family still smoking that's my real name and uh <clears throat> so uh i go through that and i'm getting to the point where 
it's not working. I'm starting to feel myself, you know. I'm I'm starting to like not know what's going on, you know. And then about in about two weeks later, <clears throat> amazing I was lasted that long. Uh, there was a black feet welfare agents who said they heard kids were abandoned and they were searching, you know, and they came to that cabin and I just happened to move the mattress, you know, otherwise I wouldn't have made it. And this agent said, oh, there's a little boy over here. And I'm just like filled with lice in Chicago and the welfare agent found me and I'm malnutrition, malnutrition really bad, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, got the cargo lice, you know, and so they take me to the hospital and I'm there for six months and I'm so bad off that they put me in like this incubator thing that spins because I'm messed up inside, you know, and, um, you know, I'm being nursed out to health and getting shots and food and everything, you know, um, you know, I was very, I would say hours, maybe, I don't know, uh, from death, you know, so I came back from that, you know, you know, starvation, basically. And so I go through all that to hospital, I get well, and then they put me in a Blackfeet uh, orphanage, you know, uh, you know, a welfare place, you know, for, for abandoned, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, <laughs> I'm with three older boys in their room. You know, I'm like, well, I got, I'm two, two years old then, you know, or something, you know, after the uh, stay in the hospital. And these older boys are going, uh, what are you doing here? You know, and I'm a little guy, I can't eat three, four, and I think a five-year-old, you know. And, uh, but I, I got around pretty good, you know. I hung out with them, you know. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, Every two weeks, these families, black families will come and, you know, oh, well, yeah, we'll adopt this one. Or we'll adopt these, you know, we'll turn in our family, you know. And, man, all these kids got to go. And at the end, it was just me and this three boys. <laughs> we kind of got left back, you know. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, what's going on, you know. And these three little boys, you go, you ain't going to get, no one's going to pick you up, bro. <laughs> yeah. And I get mad and want to fight. You know, no, someone's going to take you up, you know. And, um, you know, uh, this went on for great part of six months or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Finally, this really nice lady, uh, Mildred Kitt, came in, right. And I seen her and I thought, that's my mom, you know. That's I went over there and she really liked me and, you know, she's hugging me. She goes, you want to come home with me? And I, yeah, yeah, you know. And uh, She goes, well, I have to go home and, you know, uh, check it with my husband, you know, but it looks good, you know. And, man, I was all happy and I went back, you know, and uh, she had to go. I went back to my room and I told them, boys, I'm going to get somebody, my mom, too. And they were laughing, no, you ain't, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it was kind of funny. And uh, so this woman came back, you know, noted, and, uh, you know, she adopted me. 
and um, took me home, you know, to the kit down the end, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to me, there's it's run by a guy six four three fifty, full blood Indian, right? You know, mm-hmm. he's a businessman and a hard worker, you know. And, you know, he's a tough cat, you know. Been through uh, World War, you know, two and uh, fought in Okinawa and everything, you know. And only one survived out, survived out of his whole platoon, you know. Wow. When they run across that airport, you know. And, and um, yeah, so I ran into that. And I wasn't there, what, 10, 15 minutes, and I heard, you get that welfare baby out here, you know. You ain't staying here, you know. Oh, no. And so my mom came in, you know, my stepmom, and said, I got to take you back. But don't worry, you know. And I was all shook up, you know. And so I had to go back. Uh, <laughs> uh, been heartbreaking. Only uh, one of them, only one of those little boys were in that room. And he just happened to be the oldest one. He said, I told you he was going to be back. They don't want to take you, man. They don't want us. We're back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't believe it, you know. And uh, so she made a deal with him. She said, look, either you take him back and we get him, or I'm leaving you. And wow. So, you know, I kind of came back on technicality, you know. I got to stay there, but I was never really wanted, you know. Yeah. And, I just, she just put me to work and I was working, you know, drying dishes and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to fit in. But, uh, you know, the food was great. Oh, and the thing about it was, um, I ate like someone that had been starved all the time. You know? Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they would mm-hmm. have to slow me down. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to slow me down. Oh, uh, yeah. It, uh, I couldn't really, I couldn't really talk that well either. And it was, my mom would have to cook my, cut my uh, food up for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't know how, you know. And, uh, yeah, that, that's what you have to know for that. Sure. And, um, Did your relationship with, uh, I, I guess, the uh, stepdad, you know, her husband, that kind of improve over time? Yeah. Not really. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, I, got ri- I, got ri- I got ridiculed a lot, you know. Uh, kind of push you around, mm-hmm. you know, laugh at, you know, and I knew it. And I cried hard for my family. Sure. And my mom was consoling me and my stepmom. Um, and then uh, I started school. I didn't get to go to kindergarten <laughs> or preschool or none of that. I just had to go from where I was on that ranch. Straight to first grade. Oh wow! You know, and I, I was six. I, I couldn't really talk. Mm-hmm. I, it took a long time for me to talk, but I found out that nowadays I see on TV they got a thing where when you go through really dramatic stuff, you are what's called mutism. You, your that trauma, that stress causes you to like shut down inside. Oh, of course. And oh, definitely. You just lock out. You lock out. You know, you lock out. And, yeah, I, uh, so I struggled with that, you know. Of course. And when I would be late and miss the bus and have to go to school, oh, my God. It 
it was like jumping off a 400 foot cliff, you know. Mm. I have to go in there to deal with this. And sometimes I just say, screw it. I, t- I just go to sleep when they when I put the jackets on <laughs> <laughs> because I just couldn't have it. Yeah. And the teacher finally said, look, Mark, you can't do this. You have to learn to come in there. Oh my gosh, I just, <laughs> but all my life I dealt with that. You know? Yeah. I'm a lot better now. I can talk. I'm a little more social, you know? Yeah, we definitely have seen it. I mean, I would, you, you'll never picture that, you know, like I said, that shows you how much you have overcome as personable you, as you are now. And, you know, talk, not just talkative, you know, normal conversations and funny. And uh, I'm sure you make everybody laugh and smile where you're at, you know, have conversations with. And it's definitely come a long way. And when did the, uh, you said you had martial arts too. When yeah. did the martial arts come in? Uh, when I was in Okinawa, you know, I was getting into Shotokan there. And oh, wow. I tried to stick with it as long as I could. It's a hard style. And Shoin Ru, which is like uh, a kata, you know. Mm-hmm. And these guys were like, gosh, they were out there banging on two by fours and posts <laughs> and stuff that had rope on them. And I was like, you know, stretching out and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, just going through kata like crazy. They were, Amazing, They're jumping up in the air so high and breaking things and <laughs> just floating down. Wow! Like wow, you know. And then I saw the Taekwondo Korean guys, you know, and uh, some other Japanese uh, martial arts, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I I slowly picked up on it, you know, and then I just became self-taught, you know. Nice. Uh, Really love Bruce Lee and Jack Kundo. Sure. Oh, yeah. And Wushu and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's only 16 steps, but it's for lightness and skill. You know, they, like, hold sticks out for a long time. They catch balls. It's just, wow. you know, it's how you learn to, like, and, like, I do push-ups on my thumb and my first two fingers, and then I, and then I go from my thumb and just my index finger. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the only thing holding me up as I do push-ups, and then uh, I go to my, just doing them on my thumbs, you know. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, that's how Bruce Lee, that's how Bruce Lee did. I've seen him, yeah. It's just, the center that, yeah, it's, he centers that strength, and it's for gripping, it's for strikes, it's for grappling, it's for, you know, it, it, it's just what he did, you know. And so I said, well, if he, you know, they say, you can't be your master, but you can be as good as him. So that's what I'm trying to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I said, people look at me and go, "Oh, you can do all that." Well, how do you? They don't understand what I'm. You know, I'm taking all this stuff to calm my back down, so I can't yeah. do that. You know. And here's the thing I learned with this: uh, what I have is you got to keep working it. If you, I thought, well, I'll rest, but then it stows up and it gets worse. And mm-hmm. hurts worse and it's sore, you know. Oh, sure. So I keep working it. I That's good. It. I keep working it. I wake up. I'm sore. I hurt. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I take my stuff. You know, and I supplement in my turmeric and my joint complex and put my cream on. Oh yeah. <laughs> like uh, I just ordered some new lidocaine pads. You know. So, good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, now, did you have? Yeah. You're already uh, a you know a, a tall but, uh, guy. Yeah, you know, tall guy and a big guy. Did you ever, does, when you got to the facility yeah. you're at now or, you know, in, or any facility, 
Did you ever have uh, you know confrontations with people, or you know, did you ever have to use your martial arts, or just people kind of left you alone because you know you're pretty tall, you know, big, intimidating guy? Or do you guys ever have to use anything that you've learned as far as martial arts? That that works. That works sometimes, but when you're in jail and prison, the hours can be tough. You know, you hope you don't. Yeah. But you know, I, I've been able to maintain here. You know. Um, but in the jails, it's, you know, and they're going to be moving us now at, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Transfer us to, you know, where it's open. Yeah. No handcuffs. You know, you mm-hmm. know, Is that something you're you're looking forward to or something you're nervous about? I love it here. It's very thing for me. I don't want to go, but um, <clears throat> I have no choice. So I'll make the best of the situation, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, work with it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all my life I've had to fight. <laughs> yeah. You know, literally, mentally, mm-hmm. spiritually, emotionally. All my life, I was, I'm a peaceful kid. I'm a peaceful man. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I get people that way. They want to, you know, provoke me and stuff. Yeah. Make me go there. And I don't want to go there. You know? Of course. I just, I, I just want, I, I'm, I'm a, knowing on my reservation to be a peacemaker, you know, don't like to fight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <clears throat> the thing is, is you gotta, it's either eat or beat, you know. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a different so, world there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, dog eat dog or something. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, I do my best to stay out of it, away. Mm-hmm. But I keep working it. I keep working out. You know, I, good. You know, it's it's just what I do. This is not made up. You know, it's all real life. You know, it's truthful. It's honest. It's mm-hmm. from a, a heart of integrity. You know, I have no reason to like. Of course. Exaggerate and try to yeah be like a essential consensualized uh, uh, like the media does. I. There's no reason for me to. I just my life. <laughs> you know what's happened. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm six four. You know, mm-hmm. um, around two ten. You know, great uh, shape, but you know that works sometimes. You know, yeah. <laughs> my neighbor, Marcelli, he he just got life or something like that. I think it was, and you know, he transferred out here. He's right number one in the world. You know, he trained in a very executive Aquinas. Oh, wow. Champion, mm-hmm. right? And I'm down in Owens County Jail. I see him knock out the night stalker. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. In the elevator, they knocked him just cold. You know, the, the night stalker's running him off, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, they get, you know, but, yeah. That's funny. Uh, How long were you with, uh, were you with yeah. him? With Ramirez? How long did you wear? Um, and hit with him. Well, I was in Orange County Jail. I was his neighbor, right? And uh, that lasted three to four months, you know, something like that. You know, brief stint because, <clears throat> you know, he was really high power. I mean, <clears throat> when he went to court, you know, he had four or five officers. He had his own van and everything, you know, <clears throat> you know. And, uh, you know, terrorized LA. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, and, uh, 
what a lot of people don't know is he would draw a masterful pentagram, you know, under his bunk and chant. And I asked him, I said, well, why do you do that, Bryce? I don't understand. He goes, it's how I get my guidance, you know. It's, they tell me what to do, you know. It's how it was when I was on the street. They tell me what to do. So I hang with them. And I didn't know who he was talking about, right? He's talking about demons, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, so uh, he said, how about you? You, you want to get into this? It's uh, Antoine Lavey, the seven keys to the cult. And I said, no. I said, that's too scary for me. I'm good, you know. But he always tried to get me into that, but I would not go there, you know. Wow. And um, so I'm up here, Keith, and uh, he's on my same chair, right? And, uh, well, it, first of all, I was up there in the L.A. County Jail with him, too, you know. And he, but he was in weapon high pawn and down in another place. And he sent me gifts. He just seemed to quit, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, he had his child, and I come up here, and he comes up here. He's on the uh, same tier as me. He's on the back bar, which is about 300 feet down from me. And uh, when he was alive, I would take my mirror and look down there, and I would see like two or three different uh, dark figures standing there. And I was like, no. I'd shake my head, hold my mirror back in, and look out again. And they would be there, and I would hold it there, and there'd be a little movement from them, and then I would just see him going and fell, right? It, you know, and uh, he had, he was, he was down there, he had painted a, a brilliant pentagram, and we're standing down there, and the inmates would say, oh yeah, we heard banging on the wall, and, you know, the bars shaking, and, you know, you know, and, Really weird stuff down there. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and, um, so, yeah, he was down there for eight or ten years, you know, and then all of a sudden I hear officers running down there, you know, and they were carrying our orange sweat medical site, and the buzzer was going off. And then they pulled him out and dropped him right in front of my car. <laughs> he had his best violin glasses on, his best shoes. He was pure white because he was nearly dead. And, um, they, you know, he was, his liver was gone, you know, cancer of the liver. And he died two days later out at the, uh, wow. uh, one of these big hospitals. Yeah. You know? But, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, uh, but see, I was at a point, I was young and I, probably the chemicals were kicking in too because I was filled with rage, you know, and I didn't know, you know, and, I just thought, well, you know what? The media hates me, so I'm not going to hang with the worst person in the world and just, you know, <laughs> let it go. And I did. Yeah. You know? And we just happened to click, you know, happened to, mm-hmm. for a minute there, click. And, you know, because they always told me, you know, Kip, it's hard to find good help out there. He said, if I'd have had you, we'd have done something. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know about, I said, I don't know about that one. <laughs> you know. That's funny. Know? I said, but yeah, we do. You do happen to get get along, you know. Did he get along with the uh, yeah. everybody else there too, or was he kind of like because he was no, a, a was, quote unquote celebrity, were, he kind of stayed away? There were he ran his mouth, and I I was saved him twice, 
Oh no! What would he say? Just run his mouth, I guess. Too, I'm tough. I, you know, he just, you know, he just would not accept that he was, mm-hmm. that he was not mm-hmm. all that, you know. But you know, he thought he was, you know. Yeah. He had a method to his madness. Um, when they finally got it to him, he had like three rows of um, tables, probably twenty feet long, with nothing but gold and diamonds and, <laughs> you know and uh you know that's, that's what he would do you know he just wouldn't take his, he'd take their stuff you know mm. and uh you know probably paid for his limousine to go down home you know, that sort of stuff, you know? yeah, but, yeah that's the thing he, he he just would not stop running his mouth yeah <laughs> they would they would they would try to stab him they would Go urine on him, feces. He was always into it, you know, because you know he he thought he was a celebrity, right? And he wasn't, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I get it; he had issues, you know. There's things that drove into that, but he, you know, you just—I mean, there's a code in jail, and there's a code in prison, and you know, he he messed with uh, little boys, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, get other things. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're just not going to run around a prison and think you're all that. Uh, it's hard enough if you're quiet and don't want the attention, but when you're asking for it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just a double edged sword. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, here's the thing he was a hell of an artist. Oh, my God. But he was lazy. Yeah, he was hell of an artist, you know. Yeah. Do you still have anything that he gave you, like any artwork itself? Well, here's the thing. He told me, Kip, if you hang with me, which I didn't, because I just couldn't, you know, guilty by association, (laughs) you know. Um, He said, I'll tell you where my number one black duffel bag is, with all my photos, all my best gear, you know, all this, all that, you know. And he said, it's by a tree. He said, um, I won't tell you if it's in L.A. or Texas, but, you know, that's just, he's hang with me and I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they did find duffel bags that he had stored in uh, the Los Angeles uh, bus transport. Yeah, wow. Well. You know, area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but this one particular bag, it's still out there. Oh, no. That's uh, wild. Yeah. Uh, what did he say was he in it? Do some, Just... uh, well, he said it was his number one bag. It had, you know, what he liked to use. Oh, okay. What he liked to use, the knives, the weapons, the cash, I guess, he had, you know. But, um, yeah, he, he gave me some stuff, but it was really dark, you know, mm-hmm. like, Knives and blood dripping, but I mean, boy, it was the way he did it. Oh, yeah. Types, you know. Uh, yeah, I just that was. Um, yeah, I had some photos of where he was proud because he got he'd been blooded. He said he got marked by the demons. Oh wow! And, 
there's this scratch. There's this scratch on his face. It looks like a, you know, a, a pre-told dinosaur got him or something, you know. Mm. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, I've been, I've been marked. He was really proud of that. Because I guess he was chanting one night and it happened, you know. Wow. <laughs> I mean, That's wild. yeah, I know this sounds crazy, dude. You know, but. Yeah, well, he I believed it. Yeah, yeah, he believed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what he did on the street. That's how. You see, that's a lot of things you see that's not been told out there. You know, that's where he got his guidance. You know, was from that. Mm-hmm. And nobody's ever told that story. You know? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Definitely wild. Yeah. yeah, I see some of his artwork online once in a while. Somebody will post something of his, and whether it's you know something cartoony or whether it's like the knife. And I've seen a knife, you know, with some dripping blood on it. As he, I guess he does a couple of those I've seen out there in pentagrams and um, and even like yeah. cartoons, even like silly cartoons. And I've seen letters that he wrote. Um, like on, on, it's funny, like it's like light blue fishy paper, little cute little fish on there. And he writes you know, letters to, you know, whoever. And you see him online once in a while. It's like, oh, there's, there's a Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, writing on fishy paper, <laughs> you know, or some kind of cute purple paper. Yeah. It's like, oh, Lord, it's hysterical. Yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah, he, he had a chance to be with Evie of a rock band who was just, my gosh, I mean, like Chrissy Hine, you know, mm-hmm. that, that type of look, you know. Mm-hmm. But she, he could never. All, he just never, it, it didn't matter to him. I said, dude, you could be with that. Nah. I don't know. Oh, wow. He ran it like how he was on the street. You know? hmm. And all his thing was, was to get him blooded. You know? Yeah. And I said, what do you mean? He said, so they, they're owned like this. So that, that's my goal. That's, that's my job. You know? And he, it's odd. He ended up marrying Doreen, who, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, you know, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't all that. Yeah. You know, and um, not when it could have been with this, you know, so I don't know. It, it, well, he was nine, you know, so he probably did, you know, and then he never, she would come visit, he would never go out there, you know, he would uh, never go out there. Oh, wow. Well. You know? Mm hmm. When she did, he was doing crazy stuff to her vagina and stuff, and they would cops would say, "You got to stop that," <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, just you know, I don't know. And uh, she, uh, she, Doreen had her had his ashes, you know, but she got rid of them because uh, too many strange things were happening, you know. Oh wow! And with her, yeah. So, yeah, he was. He was there, dude. He was into that, you know, mm-hmm. that type of dark stuff. Very, very dark. I mean, yeah. You know. Definitely sounds I mean, like when it. When you go, when when you chant, and you got a pentagram, and you chant, and you get your guidance from that, and demons, oh my gosh, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. what is there left to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Like, where's the door? I'm out of here. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely freaky stuff for sure. Uh. You know, the hell with that. The hell with Annabelle. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. You know? but, uh, 
Yeah, the culture is still fascinating. Still fast, fascinated with them. From documentaries are still being made about them. Yeah, when he left that cell, I don't know how many. I think seven or eight cats went in there. One of them committed suicide. The others would go by me crying, like I gotta get out of there. I just, you know, and they were being lifted up by their legs and banged into bars and stuff. Wow. You know. Other inmates heard things, but yeah, that, yeah. I, that'll be it. As, uh, sure, you know they're going to cut us off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, hey, hey, I got you know we'll, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, definitely. It's always great talking to you. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of things I, I have, you know, but um, no, this is all true. You know, so, of course. Hey, but thank you and um, definitely. Be on a look up. Yeah, be on my look, look at Mark work. It's, you know, yeah, hopefully it comes Tuesday. I'd, I'd imagine it'll come Tuesday. With the holiday, you know, probably nothing's coming Monday for the holiday. I'd imagine it'll be here Tuesday. No, I can't wait to see it all. Definitely. And I, and I can't wait to see my, my second one that I got. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> can't wait to see the owl. I really that's want to see fun. the owl. Can't wait for the owl. Oh, it's coming. Definitely. <laughs> well, you enjoy the rest of the night. And uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk real soon. What? Yeah, okay. You have a great one. You all too, right? Take care, buddy. <laughs> All right, there we go. Martin Kipp. Um, you know, when we think of serial killers and violent offenders, we see the documentaries and the movies made about them and the podcast to talk about them. Um, we put them in uh, the monster box, you know, the just pure evil box. But with this conversation with Martin, uh, picture yourself as Martin, the voices you hear in your head. You know, if you have an alcohol addiction, uh, there's a place to go and somebody to talk to. A drug addiction, somebody to go. Suicidal thoughts, somewhere to go. Um, and you might go begrudgingly, but it comes to a point where you know you need help. If you're having these urges like Martin was having and maybe some other serial killers, um, the violent urges, uh, where are you going to go? Who are you going to talk to about that? Um, it's not, especially if you've already committed a crime, you've already killed somebody. Um, just again, this isn't justifying what they do. My book, The Story of You, of you, Masaki, um, I get into people who have brain abnormalities, who've been struggling their whole lives. Um, it's to bring awareness. Um, it's not just that they're evil people. They're people with brain abnormalities who have done evil things, and that's the category that I put Martin. I've been talking to Wayne Allen Ford, uh, and hopefully I'll have him on the podcast soon. Uh, who, he was one of the few examples who, with the help of his brother, he did turn himself in. He knew he had a problem. Um, it was after he, you know, the murders um, and during the police interview talking to him, you know, not quite sure if they believe him or not, and he pulled out of his pocket a woman's breast that he had cutting off. He's like, oh, okay, I, I guess that's you. Uh, I've been talking a lot with him. I sent him my book, and he really loved my book because uh, I wasn't treating serial killers and violent offenders as evil people, but those who have a brain abnormality who do evil things and really question free will uh, and how to cope with that, especially if part of your brain abnormality um, hinders you from stopping before you do something violent, especially the part of the brain called the amygdala, where there's fear, empathy, or that stop button before you do something stupid. Um, really bring into the forefront free will with abnormality, similar if you have Tourette's, 
or some type of neurological issue. Uh, you know, go tell somebody with Tourette's to stop uh, ticking, you know. Um, and he was he was very happy with that. Like there is awareness of people like Wayne Allen Ford and Martin Kipp who do struggle, whether it's something like schizophrenia or hearing voices or these urges to kill. Um, and hopefully, again, I'll have Wayne talking specifically about this brain abnormality and what it's like to be them, to walk in their shoes and try to fight these urges and not knowing what to do, not knowing who to talk to. Um, again, there's evil people in the world. Don't get me wrong. But there's also people with horrible brain abnormalities and childhoods blended all together who do evil things. Again, it doesn't say you're going to let them free from prison, but to study, to have awareness, how to treat, how to help, how to heal, how to have a, a place to go, not just knock on the police door, hey, I'm having these urges to kill. You might want to lock me up. You know, I, I don't have an answer. I, I'm, certainly, it's above my pay grade. I'm just trying to bring awareness to this and show everybody who listens to my podcast another side, a lighter side of serial killers. And it's not glorifying them, like I, I always say, um, but to hear stories like Martin. Um, of how he struggled at a young age. You know, when you're an infant in below freezing temperatures, um, left to die, again, covered in lice and everything else, and eating the just the, the leftover scraps of a bone that dogs bring you, wild dogs bring you, um, and abusive uh, childhood and with his father and all kindness. And, and then with, you know, and you wonder why people turn out the way they turn out, uh, including, you know, those with the brain abnormalities. Um so I hope it brought some awareness to you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Um, you can go to my social media site to see Martin's artwork. Um, I hope you enjoy that. Um, he mentioned a few pieces. I think I have like four or five pieces now. Um, this conversation was, you know, about a month ago. And uh, I'm sure we'll have Martin back on. Because uh, he has a lot of stories. I've always enjoyed talking to Martin. Talk to him maybe like once a week or so. Um, even have him singing a Queensryche song. As I'm, you know, <laughs> in the background. It's a trip. Uh, he, he's a funny guy. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, see ya! See ya!